Uh, welcome to another broadcast brought to you by Airs LA. Uh, my name is Nancy Porter, and it is my pleasure to bring you Time Magazine. I need to remind you, you're listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers, and no unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. I'm going to be sharing articles with you from the January 22nd issue of Time magazine. We'll move to the brief section. Headline, Learning to Teach January 6th. This is by Olivia Waxman. Educators move gingerly around the lessons of a history too recent for comfort. Tom Ritchie, a teacher in Anderson, South Carolina, is hesitant to call the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol an insurrection when he's in his classroom. If a teacher were to come into a mostly Republican community talking about the January 6th insurrection, that is a politically charged term, Ritchie says, though the 2023 report by the bipartisan House Select Committee charged with investigating the violence refers to it as such. I don't approve of anything that happened on January 6th, but I think for a teacher to use a term like insurrection in a classroom setting would be unnecessarily partisan and inappropriate. When the anniversary of January 6th rolled around this year, Richie was far from the only teacher wrestling with how to discuss the topic with students. Because there is no standardized history curriculum in the United States, teachers have to determine whether and how to link the event to something they are already teaching, perhaps as part of a planned lesson on different forms of protest, for example. But how history is taught has been a matter of increasing controversy for years, and especially after the 2020 murder of George Floyd. Some conservatives argue there has been an increased focus on identity, sexual orientation, and race in the classroom that vilifies white people and sours young people on America. Some liberals, on the other hand, have pushed for what progressives call more intersectionality in lesson plans and a deeper reckoning with the painful parts of U.S. history. At a time when book bans and restrictions on teachers are on the rise, many of the educators Time spoke with say January 6th amounts to one more unmarked minefield. Marlon Williams Clark, a teacher in the Tallahassee, Florida area, does not bring up January 6th at all in his classes, at least not since a parent complained about him in 2021 because he had sent students a link to an information about what an insurrection is. He ended up in the school's human resources office, he says, and had to send an apology letter to families. He has no plans to try to bring it up again because of pressure that is coming from the state. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is running for president, has made part of his platform cracking down on education he frames as woke or indoctrination. Bob Fenster, a teacher in Hillsborough, New Jersey, assigns his students a reading from the 1787 letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to John Adams' son-in-law, arguing that rebellion occurs from time to time and that people should protest if they feel their rights are being violated. The letter famously states, 
The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is its natural nature. And it's its natural manure. Students and teachers also draw parallels to more recent history. In the Boston area, while Jenny Stasniak was discussing social contract theory, the idea that citizens can challenge a government if they don't think it's fulfilling its duty to serve the people, students brought up not only Martin Luther King Jr. and the 1963 March on Washington participants as examples, but also the January 6th insurrectionists. In the case of the insurrection, there were laws and protocols that were broken, that were violated in a way that was unacceptable, not just to the rule of law, but also to social norm, Staniak says she told her class. Matthew Bunch, a teacher in Miami-Dade County, tells his students that January 6th is different from other forms of nonviolent protest because it threatened the constitutional processes. You have a method by which you express your satisfaction or dissatisfaction with government, and it's voting, he says. To use your protest to violently threaten the process of voting is not tenable in a democratic society. In Asheville, North Carolina, Tracy Barrett has students read parts of the House Select Committee's final report on January 6th so they can see an example of Congress's oversight powers. They discuss Congress's role in certifying the Electoral College vote and how those who stormed the Capitol were trying to stop that process. Barrett also singles out the 1898 Wilmington Massacre, a coup in which Wilmington, North Carolina, in which white supremacist soldiers and police helped kill at least 60 black men in response to the election of a Reconstruction-era multiracial government. She explains to students that the Wilmington coup wasn't widely talked about for years because it was dangerous to acknowledge that people in power had taken over the government by force. She tells students that it's important to talk about the events of January 6th because not talking about fascism can make it easier for it to occur and to recur. Similarly, Sarah Beth Rosenberg, a teacher in New York City, emphasizes to students that you don't have to be an elected official to make a difference in this country. She mentions the regular people that stood up to protect our democracy, from Capitol Police to whistleblowers who testified during the House investigation of the attacks. She says she wants her students to remember, it takes all of us to keep this democracy. All right, moving on to the brief section titled News. Concerning elections, headline, A Decisive Year for Democracy Worldwide by Yasmin Sirhan and Asta Rajvanshi. Elections are no guarantee of democracy. That much we know from who holds them. Even full-blown tyrants crave the legitimacy that, in the modern era, can be provided only by the ballot box. 
margins of victory doubling as one more tool of intimidation. But it's also true that democracy does not exist without elections, which is why the year ahead carries such significance. In 2024, more than half the world's population will go to the polls. 4.2 billion citizens across approximately 65 countries in what, from a distance, at least appears to be a stirring spectacle of self-government. At closer range, however, the picture is cloudier, and warning lights flash red from the murk. 2024 may be the make-or-break year for democracy in the world, says Stefan Lindbergh, the director of the Varieties of Democracy, or VDEM Institute a Swedish think tank that analyzes the complexity of the concept of democracy. Lindbergh says that more than the sheer number of elections, or the fact that many of the countries holding them have global influence, the worry is that so many have now empowered leaders or partisans with anti-democratic leanings. Around the world, including in some of the biggest and most influential countries, experts have observed that the space for political competition and civil society is shrinking. At the same time, elected but illiberal leaders are cracking down on opponents and critics, eroding democratic institutions like the judiciary and the media that serves as a check on their power. And finally, consolidating that power through changes in the Constitution. When the leader next stands for office, it's in, election, in an election that may ostensibly be free, but is certainly no longer fair. The process is already well along in much of the world. Of the 43 countries expected to hold free and fair elections this electoral megacycle, 28 do not actually meet the essential condition for a democratic vote, according to the Democracy Index from the Economist's Intelligence Unit. And eight of the ten most populous countries in the world, including India, Mexico, and the United States, all of which head to the polls this year, are grappling with the challenge of ensuring voter participation, free speech, and electoral independence while authoritarianism is on the rise. What does it mean to have a free and fair election? Is it possible to have a free but unfair election? And how unfair does it have to be to no longer be democratic? Asks Yana Gorshevskaya, a research director at Freedom House who oversees the pro-democracy think tank's annual Freedom in the World Report, the latest edition of which recorded a 17th consecutive year of global decline. The American presidential contest looms largest, and not only because the United States is the world's longest-standing democracy. The challenger, leading in early Republican polling, Donald Trump, hopes to once again secure the office that he refused to vacate after losing to Joe Biden four years earlier, precipitating a physical insurrection on the day Congress was validating the result. 
Trump is campaigning while under indictment on charges related to January 6th, among other allegations. In India, President Narendra Modi is running for a third term in the world's largest democracy. During his second term, Freedom House downgraded the country's democracy rating from free to partly free as the government targeted critics and news media and continued a campaign against the Muslim minority. This month, Bangladesh is widely expected to re-elect 76-year-old Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina, the country's longest-serving leader and world's longest-serving female head of government, who has cracked down on her political opponents. And in November, Tunisia's presidential contest could see incumbent President Kais Syed further tighten his grip on power as he pulls the country once regarded as the best hope for democratization in the Middle East back to authoritarianism. In Russia, which has led the way on mis- and disinformation, and where Vladimir Putin is all but certain to secure a fifth term in office, electoral contests have largely become pro forma, with all meaningful opposition thrown behind bars. Even autocrats acknowledge that legitimacy comes through elections, notes Grokshkovinskia. Attacks on free and fair elections bring forth the reminder that even in the most advanced democracy, necessary work must be done to shore up institutions such as electoral bodies, the judiciary, and even the media. All these elections that are taking place in 2024 are going to be confronting some version of attacks against democracy. Attacks against electoral integrity, says Tony Banbury, the president and chief executive of the International Foundation for Electoral Systems, which provides technical assistance for elections in more than 145 countries. Without that kind of proactive work to defend democracy, there is going to be backsliding. Populist leaders pose particular challenges to democratic norms, as do hyperpolarization and growing distrust abetted by mis- and disinformation, which is now being proliferated at a faster rate than ever before because of generative artificial intelligence. In Mexico, for example, President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador has been seen amplifying false and misleading information against his opponent, Xochitl Galvez, ahead of the country's June elections. We've seen how much authoritarians have capitalized on using some of these democratic tools to push out their propaganda, says Katie Harbath, the founder and CEO of Anchor Change a firm that advises politicians and governments on the interaction intersection of tech and policy. Some companies, like Facebook and Google, have instituted mechanisms to help protect the integrity of elections online. But Harbaugh says any platforms that haven't are bound to be exploited by bad-faith actors. They're moving to the ones that either don't have the resources or aren't or 
aren't willing to put in the time and effort, she warns. The European Union's Digital Safety Act and the United Kingdom's Online Safety Bill, which were both enacted in 2023, now outlines the obligations of platforms to combat hate speech and misinformation. But that doesn't necessarily cover the emerging threat of AI, the impact of which is already being felt. In the United States, Trump shared a manipulated video using artificial intelligence voice cloning of CNN host Anderson Cooper last May. During elections in Slovakia last December, pro-Kremlin social media accounts shared artificial intelligence-generated audio recordings known as deep fakes of journalists and politicians allegedly discussing how to rig the election. Not every election this year will amount to a meaningful change in government or policy nor will they necessarily lead to the fall of democracy outright. But collectively, their results will help shape an increasingly precarious world, particularly amid heightened block rivalry between the West and China, a rise in right-wing nationalism across Europe, and ongoing armed conflicts between Israel and Hamas and Russia and Ukraine. These elections can change the world, says Lindbergh of the VDEM Institute. No matter their results, he says, it's likely that after 2024, the world is going to be a very... All right, let's move on to the brief section on health. Headline, Five Mental Health Resolutions for 2024. This is written by Angela Haupt. Whether you feel totally reborn, or even just a little bit reset, at the start of a new year, consider making your mental health a priority in 2024. Why? Because that's the gateway to everything else, says Guy Winch, a a clinical psychologist, author of the book Emotional First Aid, and co-host of the Dear Therapists podcast. It's the linchpin that allows you to succeed or to fail. Studies have shown that when people's mental health improves, they're more likely to thrive in their relationships and careers and adopt healthier habits. People become more productive, find meaning in everyday experiences, and are more equipped to cope with change and adversity when they feel mentally well. Committing to take better care of your mental health in the year ahead could mean re-engaging with, or starting to talk to, a therapist or other licensed professional. If you've been in therapy in the past, the start of the year is a terrific time to schedule a catch-up session, says Nedra Glover-Tawab, a therapist and author of Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. Do a mental health check-in just to make sure the bigger things are addressed and to get their opinion on things that are coming up, she suggests. 
But going to therapy isn't the only way to improve your mental health in 2024. We asked Winch, Tawab, and other experts to share the New Year's resolution they hope people make in the name of mental health. Number one, rethink your social media use. Reflect on whether you'd like to continue with the same online habits in 2024, says Tawab. Do you want to set some boundaries for yourself? Are there people you need to unfollow? For example, you might limit yourself to 15 minutes on social media, media per day. Delete the most time-sucking apps from your phone during the work week. Or challenge yourself not to check social media when you're feeling down or glum. Number two, reconnect with a long-lost friend. Make new friends but keep the old is an adage for a reason. Loneliness affects physical and mental health, while deep social bonds are a salve. Resolve to reach out to one person you lost touch with who used to be dear to you, Winch says. He recommends opening with a text like this. I was thinking about you. It's been so long. How are you? I miss you. Number three, stop ruminating about work. Translate the work gripes you keep replaying into a problem-solving question, Winch says. Say you're spiraling over how much work you have to do and how you'll never get it done. That's the ruminative thought, Winch says. The problem-solving version is a scheduling question. When do I have time to deal with the things that's bothering me? What can I move or reprioritize? Figuring that out, he says, allows you to ease the stress and distress and continue on with your time. Number four, state four activities each week. Slate four activities each week. The core four help guard against life stressors. First, do something pleasurable like attending a football game or belting out a Taylor Swift song. Having fun decreases your reactivity to stress by helping you accumulate more positive events than negative ones, says Calvin Filch, a clinical health psychologist with Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Then, check off a mastery activity, like cleaning or running errands. Also key are being social. A sense of belonging facilitates better health and doing physical activities that get your heart rate going. And lastly, number five, do something to alleviate climate anxiety. If you're distressed about the state of the planet, and more of us are, festering in your thoughts won't help. Instead, take a cue from Winch's family. Each year, they pledge to do one thing to ease their climate anxiety, like eliminating plastic bags, composting food scraps, or walking 15 minutes to nearby destinations instead of driving. It's overwhelming. I feel like I can't get my arms around it, he says. But doing one small thing is a way of feeling like you're at least upping your game. 
And moving on now to the view section. Regarding the world, headline, the top risks of 2024. And this is written by Ian Bremmer. He is a foreign affairs columnist and editor-at-large at Time. He is also the president of Eurasia Group and Gazero Media. Each year, this risk report forecast predicts what the world should watch out for in the coming months. In 2023, the big stories centered on wars in Europe and the Middle East, and those conflicts will expand in 2024. But it's a third war, the United States versus itself, that poses the greatest global risk. And as always, there will be news stories that deserve more attention than they're getting. Number one, the United States versus itself. While America's military and economy remain exceptionally strong, the United States political system is more dysfunctional than any other advanced industrial democracy. In 2024, the problem will get much worse. The presidential election will deepen the country's political division, testing American democracy to a degree the nation has not experienced in 150 years and undermining the U.S. credibility internationally. With the outcome of the vote close to a coin toss, at least for now, the only certainty is damage to America's social fabric, political institutions, and international standing. In a world beset by crises, the prospect of a Trump victory will weaken America's position on the global stage as Republican lawmakers take up his foreign policy positions and U.S. allies and adversaries hedge against his likely policies. Number two, Middle East on the brink. The fighting in Gaza will expand in 2024 with several pathways for escalation into a broader regional war. Some could draw the United States and Iran more directly into the fighting. The conflict will pose risks to the global economy, widen geopolitical and political divisions, and stoke global extremism. The straightest route to intensification would be a decision by either Israel or Hezbollah to attack the other. Top Israeli leaders have pledged to remove the threat from Hezbollah. If Israel were to attack preemptively, the United States military would provide support, and Iran would assist Hezbollah. And most important regional proxy, Houthi militants are also pursuing an escalatory path. And Shiite militias are operating in Iraq and Syria, have increased attacks on U.S. bases, undoubtedly with Tehran's blessing. No country involved in the Gaza conflict wants a regional conflict to erupt. But the powder is dry, and the number of players carrying matches makes the risk of escalation very high. Number three, partitioned Ukraine. 
Russia's invasion of Ukraine remains a historic failure. NATO is strengthened by new members Finland and Sweden. The European Union has opened a membership process for Ukraine. Russia has faced 11 rounds of sanctions, with more on the way, and half of its sovereign assets have been frozen, money increasingly likely to be used for Ukrainian reconstruction. Europe no longer buys Russian energy, but Ukraine will be de facto partitioned this year, and Russia now has the battlefield initiative and a material advantage. This year will be an inflection point in the war, and if Ukraine doesn't solve its manpower problems, increase weapons production, and set a realistic military strategy soon, its territorial losses could prove permanent and may well expand. Kiev has taken a body blow on continued military help from the United States and the outlook for European assistance is only slightly better. Ukraine is desperate for more troops. For all these reasons, Kiev will take a bigger military risk this year, including with strikes on more targets inside Russia that provoke unprecedented Russian responses and could pull NATO into the conflict. Number four, ungoverned artificial intelligence. Technology will outstrip AI governance in 2024. As regulatory efforts falter, tech companies remain largely unconstrained, and far more powerful artificial intelligence models and tools spread beyond the control of governments. Number five, access of rogues and America's dangerous friends. In 2024, Russia, North Korea, and Iran will boost one another's capabilities and act in increasingly coordinated and disruptive ways on the global stage. In Russia's case, even an unlikely early end to the war won't end its political and economic isolation from the West. Meanwhile, Washington faces higher risk that Ukraine, Israel, and even Taiwan can pull the United States into confrontations it wants to avoid. <coughs> Number six, no China recovery. Beijing's failure to reform the country's sputtering economic growth model, the country's financial fragilities, and a crisis of public confidence will expose gaps in the Chinese Communist Party's leadership capabilities and weigh on global growth. In addition, President Xi Jinping's stranglehold on power and a prioritization of national security over economic concerns will weigh on consumer, business, and investor confidence. It will also leave his regime prone to underestimate economic and financial vulnerabilities, and to overestimate its capacity to address them. Number five, seven, the fight for critical minerals. 
Certain minerals will be a crucial component in virtually every sector that will drive growth, innovation, and national security in the 21st century. From clean energy to advanced computing, biotechnology, transportation, and defense. In 2024, governments around the world will take protectionist measures that disrupt the flow of critical minerals needed for advanced large-scale technological progress. Number eight, no room for error. The global infiltration shock that began in 2021 will continue to exert an economic and political drag in 2024. Higher for longer interest rates caused by stubborn inflation will slow growth around the world and governments will have little scope to stimulate growth or respond to shocks, heightening the risk of financial stress, social unrest, and political instability. Number nine, El Nino. After a four-year absence, a powerful El Nino climate pattern will peak in the first half of this year bringing extreme weather events that trigger food insecurity, increase water stress, disrupt logistics, spread disease, and foment migration and political instability, particularly in countries already weakened by the pandemic and energy and food price shocks created by the Ukraine war. Number 10, risky business. Customers, employees, and investors, mostly on the progressive side, have brought the U.S. culture wars to corporate offices. And now courts, state legislatures, and activist groups, mostly conservative ones, will hit back. Companies caught in the political and legal crossfire will face higher costs and confusion over their communications strategies. And lastly, red herrings. This will be another turbulent year for U.S.-China relations, particularly over Taiwan and tech competition. But domestic preoccupations have persuaded President Joe Biden and Xi Jinping that better managed relations serve both sides. Europe's populists will continue to strike fear in the establishment. But limited setbacks for mainstream parties at European Parliament, national, and local elections will neither upend the European political order nor derail European Union ambitions rejuvenated by the COVID-19 pandemic and Ukraine war. Even after this year's expansion, the BRICS will not emerge as a China-led rival to the G7. Well, so much for that crystal ball. Let's move on now to the health section of the view. Headline. Role models. Pigs, squirrels, and managing pain. This is by David Egas, the author of the book of Animal Secrets, from which this article is adapted. Over the past several decades, 
There have been many supporting studies of the health-promoting effects of an optimistic personality. Newer research demonstrates that high levels of hope have been found to be related to lower levels of pain, psychological distress, and functional disability in patients with chronic illnesses. This is not to say there's no value in grief and feeling glum. Forced optimism can backfire when too much inauthentic positivity leads to denial and hiding dark emotions that demand we process them. But the two do interact to help determine your overall personality and approach to life in response to positive or negative events. Unsurprisingly, this is also true for other members of the animal kingdom, particularly for pigs and squirrels. In fact, the domestic pig is an interesting animal to study and compare with human beings in terms of the way it processes happiness and pain. Pigs are among a growing list of research subjects in the relatively young scientific field of animal personality. They share a number of cognitive capacities with humans, such as self-awareness, experiencing emotions, and playfulness. Studies on the domestic pig tell us that mood and personality interact to influence thinking and how our biases come into play within our environment. And therein lies a key word, environment. It turns out that environment can make or break our moods and those of pigs. In pigs, personality is frequently measured by watching how the animals cope under different circumstances. Pigs that are deemed proactive, characterized by more active and consistent behavior, are not the same as reactive pigs that behave more passively and erratically. According to one illuminating 2016 study by researchers in the United Kingdom, reactive pigs living in a feel-good environment, like a roomier, straw-filled pen, were much more likely to be optimistic if they were given an obstacle to deal with that wasn't routine, like a feeding bowl with an unknown ingredient inside it. Proactive pigs, in contrast, were likely to respond optimistically in such situations even if they lived in smaller, more barren environment. In studies on humans, proactivity and reactivity have been linked to extroversion and neuroticism, respectively, with extroverts more optimistic and those with neurotic tendencies more pessimistic. Our personalities color our decisions, and our moods can be influenced by our environments, which means we do have some control in protecting our preferred moods. If you want to tip the scales in favor of being hopeful and reap the health rewards, you need to be mindful of your living quarters, what, and most definitely who, you surround yourself with and where you spend your leisure time. 
A study published in 2021 from the University of California in Davis and the Rocky Mountain Biological Laboratory in Colorado was the first to document personality in golden-mantled ground squirrels, common across the western United States. The researchers recorded four main traits, boldness, aggressiveness, activity level, level, and sociability. They noted that more gregarious squirrels move quicker, command the use of more space and places to perch themselves, and gain more access to resources. These effects ultimately favor the social squirrel's survival. It pays to be convivial and maybe even a little brash. Although pain and pain management within the context of personality was not part of this study, we can draw some conclusions nevertheless. There is a lot that each of us has control over, and many things, like health, where we have only partial control. So we have to use the power we have to tip the scales in our favor. This means taking a good look at our lifestyles, our moods, our environments, who we associate with, where we choose to spend our time. Maybe it will not alleviate all our symptoms, but it certainly will have a major influence. And that will end our coverage of the January 22nd, 2024 issue of Time Magazine. Again, I need to remind you that you have been listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers, and no unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Again, I'm Nancy Porter, and it has been my pleasure to share Time Magazine with you.